you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God! All you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. G'day everyone. It is so good to be here with you today as we come together to God's Word. Now, this environment we're in presents some challenges, but I tell you what, it gives us some great opportunities too. So if you're the kind of Pentecostally exuberant, extroverted side of person, and normally in a service you would go, Amen, Hallelujah, as your heart's moved by the Holy Spirit, you do that wherever you are. But the opportunity comes for the closet Pentecostal kind of person. 
So inside God's speaking to you, but your face is like stone and you don't say or do anything. If you're on that screen there by yourself, you let it rip. And if you're uh, thinking about a sort of an online type response, then you hit a heart, one heart. That'll be your unleashing into this new environment that we're in. All right, can you you do that with me? All right, as we come to God's word, let's pray. Father, as we gather now in your presence, we pray that your Holy Spirit, who is Lord over all of the universe and the earth, would bring your word to life, that our hearts might be softened and changed, that our our lives might be impacted and that every part of our being would focus on the glory and majesty of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, when I was 19 years old, I had a great opportunity. I got to be part of an army to army exchange to, Southeast, to a Southeast Asian country. And the moment that we arrived in the airport, I knew it was going to be good because uh, we were ushered through the VIP foreign dignitary channel at customs into some waiting cars. And let me tell you, I wasn't disappointed. It got better and better. There were helicopter tours, there were VIP tours of tourist spots, there were dinners in our honour. In fact, we felt a little bit like visiting royalty, waving to the crowds, which as a teenager is used to being kind of near the bottom of the rung of everything, was pretty exhilarating, intoxicating. But the culmination of the whole thing came on the very last night. Our hosts came in and they announced with a smile that they had a final parting gift for us. The best gift that money could buy. Well, I never got to meet the gift that was going to be given. But outside of our hotel, there stood another one. She was young. She was beautiful. She was dressed attractively in a way that accentuated her attributes. And she was beckoning as I walked past. And her voice was sweet. Just a few years later, I stood in another place, in Lawn, actually, on the Great Ocean Road, the surf coast of Victoria. And I stood in a little white church at the front with nerves writhing in my stomach, sweat, pouring down my back, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the moment came and and I turned and I saw framed in the doorway, a beautiful woman dressed in radiant white. And then she was coming towards me, her face shining. Two women, two very different women, Both beautiful, both alluring, both promising to fulfill all my desire and yet the antithesis of each other. Today, as we come towards the end of the book of Revelation and we come to chapters 17 and 19 of this great book, we see today a clear choice between two different women. It is a choice which really matters not just for our common life here and now, but for your life and my life for all of eternity. 
Now, as we come to these chapters, I'm going to be looking at them in detail. So it'd be really super helpful for me if you had your Bibles open to chapter 17 of Revelation. But as we begin, I only have two points for us today. Just two headings. First, the funeral of a harlot. And secondly, the wedding of a bride. The funeral of a harlot and the wedding of a bride. Of a bride. So, firstly, the funeral of the harlot. We're introduced to this harlot in chapter 17, verse 1. Listen to this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now let's meet her. And we meet her in verse three. And as I read these words to you, I want you to close your eyes for a moment and to picture the reality which they portray. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You see that picture? You can open your eyes. And of course, we ask the question, who is she? What is the beast that she's riding on? Well, the horrible beast that she's riding on is is easy for us to understand because it's already been explained for us by John in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. The beast is the Antichrist, the final consummation of evil who will one day stride on to the world stage, a man directly empowered by Satan who will inaugurate a short-lived system that will be the final culmination of evil on planet Earth. But who is the woman riding on the back of the beast? Well, we're told in verse 5 that her name is Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abomination. In verse 18, we're told, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So the prostitute and this great city of Babylon are the same thing. But that still hasn't answered the question, who is she? Well, some think that the prostitute is the city of ancient Rome, the head of the mighty Roman Empire. The Antichrist, therefore, the beast is a historical Roman emperor, maybe the Emperor Nero. Others, however, see in Revelation a future prophecy. And for them, the woman is the system and the empire of the Antichrist, the last world system that is judged and destroyed by Jesus in Revelation. So which is it? I actually think it's both. We know that the Bible tells us that many antichrists will come and have come. 
Antichrist like Nero. And riding on his back, the satanic system like Rome. There have been many like this, but the Bible also predicts that in the future, there will be a final beast, a final antichrist and riding on his back and allied with him, a great prostitute. Satanic economic system, maybe even a satanic world religion that will deceive and enslave the world. So that's who I think she is. But now let's meet her. And to do that, you could go to her Facebook profile. And we'll see there that she describes or described about her three things that this harlot, this prostitute, this Babylon loves. Firstly, she loves sexual immorality. Nine times in these chapters, that word for sexual immorality is used. The word is pornea in the Greek, from which, of course, we get pornography. Nine times. And of course, indeed, her very personification as a a prostitute represents sexual immorality by definition. In Scripture, sexual immorality is not just a physical act. It It is a spiritual rebellion. It is spiritual idolatry, the very antithesis of fidelity to God and to others. We see on her profile that she loves sexual immorality. And the second thing that we see on her profile is that she loves wealth and luxury. The third thing that she loves is getting drunk, but not drunk with alcohol, but we're told drunk on the blood of the saints. The image of the prostitute we see presented is of a rich, And a beautiful woman covered in gold and precious pearls, dressed in finery, flaunting both her body and her wealth and blind rolling drunk on the blood of the saints. This is a prostitute. This is Babylon. And those three marks of sexual immorality material prosperity and a hatred for God and his people, do they not sound maybe just a little familiar? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in the Bible's definition is any sexual activity outside the bounds of heterosexual marriage. Sexual immorality has always been present in human society. Indeed, um, when I trained to work and become an intelligence officer in the army, a, a spy, Uh, We were proudly told that we had joined the second oldest profession in the history of humanity. But while sexual immorality has always been present for most of history and in most cultures, sexual immorality has at best been tolerated, hidden, and at worst, and in many cultures, sexual immorality has been viewed as destructive and and evil and and many times in history, punishable by death. Now, the Roman Empire the great beast in the time that this letter was written was an exception to this. For the Roman Empire, sexuality was something to be flaunted. Sexual immorality was something to be indulged in publicly and at the very highest levels of society. And what of our country? What of the Western system? Is that not becoming the case? Sexuality 
flaunted in a state-sanctioned, even state-funded way. We can think of Mardi Gras parades. We can think of school curriculums. We can think of the content of cinemas. We can think most especially of the content that is streamed and downloaded in our world today. We are, we are an explicitly sexually immoral society. And that's not just my view or opinion. Objectively throughout history, when we compare it, we are that. Suddenly it seems that we could take the cultural mirror and we could lift it up and we could look into it and there we would see leering back at us the face of the prostitute. Well, what of the harlot's unbridled luxury and material excess that she flaunts? Well, there's no doubt uh, right now we live in times of a global pandemic But it's also true that we live in times of unprecedented prosperity materially. In fact, just last year, it seems a long time ago now. But Australia moved ahead of Switzerland as the most prosperous country on the face of the planet in all of history, bar none. Uh, Luxury, material excess is something that is not just for the elite anymore. It's something that we all demand. In many senses, the poor of us, in, of, of us in Australia live like kings in comparison to most of the people that have lived throughout history. Uh, in chapter 18, verse 7, coming ahead a little bit, a Babylon is described in these words. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. Couldn't that not also be said of us? Doesn't it explain why a little threat to our luxury and our excess results in things like the hoarding of goods? Well, what of the hatred of God and the persecution of Christians that we see as the third mark of the prostitute? Well, Thankfully, at this moment in the West, for most of us, that is not yet a reality. But the Bible seems to tell us that one day it will be so. That revelation says that at the end of the time, the beast, uh, the, the Antichrist with his military coercion and political power will make an alliance with the prostitute, with her economic luxury and excess, and they will make an alliance that is aimed against the people of God. Christians in the time of Rome, They refused to worship the emperor, which was heresy to an empire mad on political control and military domination. Christians in Rome, they refused to launch into the flood of sexual immorality that society did around them. And for that, they were maligned and hated as it was in the past. So it will be in in the future. Well, you might say, Andrew, you, um, you spoke early on about the, uh, the funeral for a harlot. It seems up to this point, you've been giving her her victory parade. It seems like her and the beast and their alliance, they're here to stay. The, the world is at their feet. They're, they're invincible. And yet Revelation tells us in chapter 17 that their time is very short. Indeed, Revelation 18, 17 tells us it's, it's an hour. They will be destroyed in an hour. Verse 14 tells us how they will be destroyed. It says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he 
is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The beast and the prostitute's time is short. An hour less. And at the end of time, we're told chapter verses um, 16 and 17 of chapter 17, they tell us that the beast will actually eat the prostitute. The Antichrist will eat the, the economic system on which he depends. He will make her desolate and naked, we're told. He'll devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. The alliance will break. They'll turn on each other. How like Satan, who comes to kill and steal and destroy. How like him to turn on his own. Chapter 17 is a funeral for a harlot. Chapter 18 is her eulogy. Now, eulogies at funerals are nerve-wracking, especially for the person who's running the funeral. Um, I've run many funerals. I've led many funerals. And why it's nerve-wracking is because while the coffin is there and everyone can agree that there's a dead body, which is why they're gathered, the perceptions of the person that have died very markedly. Um, For example, I once did a funeral for someone who apparently was a sexual abuser. Some people stood to share their memories of that person and their reflections and they were poignant and they were touching and they were emotional and they were said with tears. These people had been complicit in the abuse. And then others stood to share their eulogies, their memories. And they were bitter and they were judgmental and they were angry because these people that shared were the abused Your perception at a a funeral varies markedly in accordance with your relationship with the person who is lying there. So too in the funeral for the harlot. The eulogies are very different. So chapter 18, an angel of light speaks in a searing indictment of the prostitute. In verse 5, another heavenly being condemns her. He says, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Like Babylon before, the Tower of Babylon rising up towards heaven. So he says the iniquities, the sins of this harlot, of this prostitute have reached up in defiance to heaven and now God will judge her. In verse 8, chapter 18, sorry, in verse 18, 8, the heavens speak of her damnation. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death, mourning and famine and she'll be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Heaven's eulogy at the funeral of the harlot is searing condemnation. She is getting exactly what she deserves. Don't weep for her. But not all at the funeral agree. Did you notice that? Many others mourn the death of the harlot. They weep for her. Indeed, from verses 9 to 20 of chapter 18, they're just full of heartfelt eulogies for the prostitute. Those who are in bed with her weep that the pleasures that they enjoyed are gone. Kings and merchants and traders who grew fat on her, from her, they mourn that her loss. Heaven has turned Babylon into an economic ghost town and they mourn the loss. But heaven again chimes in and it has no sympathy. And at the beginning of chapter 19, we see the final eulogy for the harlot. Heaven's verdict on her. And we see this scene where a countless multitude of every tribe 
and tongue and nation. They're standing before the throne of heaven and they burst into song. They're rejoicing. 19 verse three tells us, once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her burning goes up forever. God has judged the great prostitute. And we're told that the elders and the living creatures, they say, amen, so be it. And a voice booms out and says, praise our God. The harlot is dead and is buried and the smoke from her creation rises up and heaven says, praise God, hallelujah, it's done. So the funeral of the harlot, it's over. And now there's a wedding for the bride and it's beautiful. If you've got your Bibles, come with me, chapter 19, verse 6. And we see in these chapters a a voice of a great multitude again. We see the roar of many waters, peals of thunder, announcing that the ceremony is about to begin. And here comes the bride, not dressed in the gaudy colours of the prostitute, but we're told in pure white linen, bright and clean, which are the righteous deeds of the saints, we're told. This is a heavenly wedding. Uh, Royal weddings on earth capture the attention of the world for a moment with their splendour and their solemnity. But too often, just a few years later, the world is captured by the news of the royal divorce. Not this ceremony. Friends, not this wedding. If you can imagine in your mind, bells are ringing and rose petals are falling, hearts are swelling with pure joy because Jesus has made his bride clean. He's taken her out from Babylon and now the marriage feast begins. And the beauty of it is that we, you and I, with shining eyes and faces, we're not just observing what's going on, we're part of it. We're in the midst of it. The eternal, glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. I've got a theory, just a theory, that my favourite author, J.R.R. Tolkien, deliberately spoke of this in his book, The Return of the King. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water on a parched land. And as as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days without count. Oh, friends, on this day, there's going to be merriment. On this day, there's going to be joy. On this day, there's going to be laughter because in this moment, it will have all been worth it. Whatever you suffered, whatever was heaped upon you in the world of the prostitute at the wedding of the lamb, it will be worth it. Everything will be worth it for the marriage supper of the Lamb has begun. Now, this is not a supper, excuses to my English friends, where there's a little bit of toast and tea before bed. The marriage supper of the Lamb is the marriage feast of the Lamb, a rich feast. The party of the ages, the party that you don't want to miss is about to start. So there we have the great antithesis, the contrast. We have the funeral of the harlot. And we have the wedding of the lamb. 
But now what does it mean for you? What does this mean for me this week? Living in a world which seems so out of control. What is the practical relevance of this? A few things. First, a word to those of us who are not yet Christians. A word to those of us who are almost Christians. A word to those of us who are outwardly Christians. Comes in verse 9 of chapter 19. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have been invited. The invitations have already gone out. They went out in the mail before the world began. With your name on them. The invitation which is written to you. The invitation to leave the world of the prostitute, to leave Babylon. And come to the wedding supper and be washed by Jesus. The invitation is yours to open. It's yours to come. And you know what? There's, there's a room for you in heaven. And you say, well, the filth of Babylon is all over me. Let me tell you that the filth of Babylon has no impact on the cleansing blood of the lamb. The blood that was shed for you. The washing, cleansing flow will remove all sin. The invitation is to you. Will you not accept it? And you say, well, how? Well, wherever you are, come to the Lamb. Turn from Babylon. Come to Him. And you say, but, but how do I do this? Well, if you're watching this, you're with a friend, ask them how. If you're sitting there with your family, ask your parents. And maybe if you're just watching alone, do it right now. Take out the wedding invitation. Tear it open. See your name embossed on it. Come. Come to the wedding supper of the Lamb. But for others of us, many of, of, others of us, we perhaps did that long ago. We've come We've been washed by the blood of the lamb. We've, we've left Babylon. So what is the application for us this week? Well, actually the application is given us directly in the text. There's no mistaking it. We find it in the middle of the eulogy for the harlot in chapter 18. And it comes in verse four. It's a key verse for our application, how it means. It says this, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, Come out of her, my people. That's the analogy that is used. That's the call that is given. That's the application that is shown. Come out of her, my people. We are his people. We are not the people of the prostitute, of Babylon or the beast. We are his people, sealed with his name. Babylon is not our home. Babylon is not our lover. Jesus is. 
so come out of her, he says. The, the image is again of maybe you could see here the plagues falling on the nation of Egypt and God calling to his people, come out of her in the Exodus, come out of her before the destruction takes place. Or again of Abraham and Lot and their families in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah long ago and the angels pleading with them saying, come out, come out, come out. Don't be caught up in her plagues. Get out of here. Those are the images and those are the urgency come out of here, come out of her. Well, what does that, that mean? Well, for some Christians to use the uh, terminology of the day, it means self-imposed isolation. It means that we separate ourselves completely from the world in which we live. Babylon will pollute us, get out. Um, if you're able to be at the wonderful conference last year, Arise, uh, you'll know as we look through the book of Jonah that Jonah is case in point of self-isolation. Remember, he goes to the city of Nineveh. He proclaims to her, you're going to burn. And then he goes out of the, the city and he sits down uh, in the sun and he waits hopefully for the city to get destroyed by fire. Self-isolation. But that is not what we are called to do as Christians, as people who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus said to his people, he used the analogy, you're the salt. You're salt. Now, salt does no good to anything when it sits on the shelf. Only when salt goes into the food or into the meat, if you like me, into the meat that the flavour goes through and that the meat is also preserved. So we're the salt of the world, Christians. We're to be part of the world, living in the world. And, and I love it that history tells us that the original hearers of these words, persecuted, oppressed, yet as they shared the light and they became the salt, that eventually the great prostitute was converted. The great prostitute of Rome was washed and cleansed. Rome became Christian, at least on the outward. She was washed and cleansed. That's always been the Christian response. Well, then you say, well, why then are we called to come out of her? if we are meant to be in her and part of her, because while we are people who live in the city of Babylon, we don't have to be in bed with the prostitute. We live in the city of Babylon, but we don't have to be in bed with the prostitute. Now, let's think specifically of the two ways which marked out the characteristics of the prostitute as it applies to Christians, sexual immorality and materialism. So sexually, sexual immorality. Now, obviously, Coming out of her, my people, means for Christians that we are not physically, sexually immoral. It means that we don't commit adultery. It means that we don't commit fornication. It means that we keep the sexual gift that God has given us in our bodies pure and spotless in this world. But Jesus also said that if you look lustfully at someone, you, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. So obviously this means that Christians do not partake of pornography. I found one of the encouraging things I read this week actually was about how the church in China has thrived during this period of isolation. But I also read one of the concerns and the challenges of the church was the lure of pornography becomes even stronger. But Christians, pornography, sexual immorality, this is not us. This is, that's the world of the prostitute. That's Babylon. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We don't want our clothes to be dirty. So we wash them. And if that's you now, you're not under judgment, but you do need to wash your clothes in repentance so that you're ready for that day when the marriage supper begins. But there are some areas in, uh, in regard to sexual immorality which are not so black and white, not so easy to work out. 
It seems likely that for many of us in the days ahead, we're going to have even more time than we perhaps already have looking at screens, Netflix or whatever we are casting. How do we maintain, come out of her as we, we navigate that world? Uh, I know some Christians believe that it's okay to stream Netflix programs with explicit sexual themes or to watch reality shows that have sexual immorality as their, their core reason for being. Maybe just to laugh at the excesses of the culture or to understand the culture to help them leave it. I imagine that the temptation to watch these kind of things will grow perhaps as the days pass. I would say be careful. You walk a fine line. When you think of all the Christians throughout all of history for millennia, surely they would have seen watching and participating in such things as compromise with the prostitute. There's lines here. Walk carefully. Perhaps imagine that as you watch and as you stream and maybe as you laugh, the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting right next to you because you know that he is. And you're his. You're in Babylon, but you're not sleeping with the prostitute. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. But then what about the other one of, of uh, luxury? What does that mean for a Christian in, in this world? Material excesses. Well, I think there are lines here also. Uh, what is luxurious for some is, is normal for others. And, and it's, it's unwise, I think, to draw a line and look at someone and say, oh, you're living in luxury, and, oh, but, but you're not. Because if the reality is that even the most frugal lifestyles in Australia and in the West, in comparison with large proportions of the rest of the world, are dramatically, excessively luxurious. So I think we need to be careful about condemning others whose lines are different to ours. But the call remains, come out of her, my people. And beware of mortgaging your soul to the economic system in which we live. And you say, how do I know if I have? Well, one way that you might know is, is that when you see the funeral of the, of the whore, you see the, everything burning, what would your reaction be? Oh, my real estate portfolio is going down the gurgler. What about my share? What about my superannuation? My wealth is, is all gone. Or do you hold them lightly? as gifts from the Lamb to you, to use? Do you set your heart on Jesus and long for His appearing? Now, now, one sure way, if you think, well, that's a little bit of me, one sure way, a gracious gift that God has given you, a command that He's given you, is to share your resources with others. Not to covet and hold them, but to share them generously. Uh, in, a, in a world where toilet paper is more expensive than gold, um, it's a way Christians can do. We, we can share. Where food is being hoarded, we can share. And when we're tempted to, to put the walls in and to retreat and say, well, it's so uncertain, you know, I can't give to others or I can't give to the church and to its work to say, no, I will take this gift of grace given to me by God and I will share generously because I don't live in Babylon. This is not my home. If I've got, if I've got food and clothing, I'll be content with that. My home is to come. The wedding feast is still ahead. But wherever you draw the line on sexual immorality and materialism, just remember that like the harlot and the bride, like oil and like water, they cannot mix. Maybe picture yourself on a train, on a train in Babylon. And as you're sitting on the train, you're, you're mixing and talking with, with others who are the children of the prostitute, the children of Babylon. 
Now, the truth is you're going to get off at a different station to them unless they change. But in this time, we're all on the train together. These are people that you have much in common with. They're created in God's image. So when it says, get, leave her, come out of her, my people, it doesn't mean that we socially distance ourselves so we don't communicate with those on the train with us. We should speak to them. We should work with them joyfully. We should have friendships with them. We should show our concern for them. But we should not take off our clothes and sleep with them. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, a church for whom this was a very big problem. He says this in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from the midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Come out of her, my people, of her materialism and her sexual immorality. Remember the prostitute and those who come into her system and follow her are already infected. Her disease is terminal. Her funeral will soon be held. So maintain some physical distance, not social isolation, but physical distance as you, as you sit on that train. Wash your hands frequently, often, two minutes. <laughs> Wash your hands spiritually. Come to God in confession and repentance for the ways in which you've joined with Babylon. Wash your hands, be cleansed and keep an eager, eager watch on your own soul. See if you are beginning to contract the symptoms that lead to death. And if you are, come for help. Pray with someone online, in person, if you can. Confess your sins to one another, the Bible says. Because we are going to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We are not part of the kingdom of Babylon or the world of the prostitute. But finally now, what do we do with those who we know who are caught up in Babylon? They're enjoying the pleasures of this life. They're relishing the life that is around them. Totally oblivious to God. Totally disinterested in the lamb and his kingdom. What do you do with them? I, when I was 18, I think God granted me an insight which I've never forgotten. It happened that I was um, standing at the, in the queue to, to enter the seediest nightclub in Canberra. And all my friends were there with me. And uh, they'd asked me to come along to be the designated driver to get them home at the end of it all. And as we were standing in that line, I was thinking, oh, you guys, such idiots. Feeling judgmental and pride. You guys are just, you're just going on your own way and you're going to go to hell. And, and really, that, that's your choice. Just enjoy the prostitute while you can. And then in, a, in, a, in an instant, I believe God gave me an insight. As I turned away and as I looked back, I, I don't think I physically saw it, but in the eyes of my heart, I saw those same friends lined up. And in a moment, I saw skeletons leaning against the wall as they waited to enter. Death. And in that moment, I, I believe that I caught a sense of the heart of Jesus. A heart of mercy. A heart of forgiveness. 
a heart that longs to reach out to the sexually immoral, to the prostitute, to those caught in addictions. A heart that longs to see them brought into relationship with him just as it was when Jesus walked the earth. I saw an insight and it rebuked me because yes, the judgment will come. We're going to see that next week. The judgment of God will come on all injustice and evil, but the time's not yet. There's still time. So what do we do? Well, these precious people are infected, although they don't know it. But what if we had the cure? What if we had the cure to COVID-19 right now? What would be our response to, to sit at home and inject family and friends and those we love so we're all right and let the world die? No, if we had the infection, if we had the cure, would we not take it everywhere? Would we not offer it to everyone freely? Would we not make efforts to, to share of the good news of Jesus? Jesus said in, in his parable of the wedding feast, he spoke about this and he said that his invitations went out to the wedding feast, but many of those who should have come didn't. And then he comes back and he said to his servants, well, go to the highways and the byways. Go to the street corners, go into the lanes, plead with people to come into my feast. Plead with everybody to come. Go into Babylon, church. If you're a Christian, go into the world of the harlot and give the invitations to the wedding feast of the Lamb. In our online world, what better way to do than put an invitation to come next week to gather together as Pastor Guy Mason unfolds these wonderful last chapters of Revelation for us. What an invitation we could give. Because in God's mercy, we're told there will be a very great multitude at the end. Every tribe and people and nation and tongue gathered before the throne of the Lamb, accepting their invitations, now praising Him for His glory. Won't you be a part of that? pray you will. So two very different women, two very different invitations to the funeral of a harlot or to the wedding of a bride. If the band come up, I'm going to pray. And would you close your eyes wherever you are and would you pray with me now? Father, we come before you and we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for its power. We thank you for the way that it speaks directly into our world and into our hearts. And right now, Lord, wherever we are, we pray. We pray that if we have not yet accepted the invitation to the wedding feast of the bride, that we would now. That today would be the day when we come and are washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are in a situation where the world can shake and rock and collapse, but this is not our home. Our home is in heaven so we can be, we can be strong and courageous and at peace. Lord, may men and women, children, even now, give their hearts to You. And Lord, we pray for those of us who have already done this, that as we walk in untroubled, in troubled times, as we walk in uncertain days, Lord, that we would be indeed confident men and women that, that this is not our home. We've got the wedding invitation in our hands and written on our hearts and coming out of our lips. And may we worship and praise you as we're going to do now until the day comes that you lead us into that feast of the ages, the wedding supper of the Lamb. In the name of that Lamb, Jesus Christ, we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.